Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc live. I hope you enjoyed this message. What's up, Freedom House? Y'all look wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. My name is Troy Maxwell, and my wife and I are the senior pastors here. We also wanna welcome all of our live streamers from all over the world. We've got China, Philippines, Alabama, because they're connected, um, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Kentucky, North New York, and North Carolina. Church, let's give them all a big welcome. Thank you guys for joining us. You look great, you look great. Look at your neighbor, just say you look awesome today, you look extra cute. Look at your other neighbor, say at least you took a shower. Come on, look at him, say at least you took a shower. It all helps. We've been in a series called House Party. And I was thinking about this this week that uh, you really can't have a good party unless you have a good house, come on, right? Like this one right here, I think this is a great house. I'm sure all of you would agree that uh, they're gonna put it up on the screen for me right now. There it is right there, there it is right now. There it is, that'd be a good house to have right there. How many of y'all could go home to that this afternoon? Come on, raise your hand. You probably wouldn't even go to Ryan's Steakhouse if you had that house right there. Uh, highly unlikely. Love that. We, we have a great house called Freedom House, don't we? Don't we have a great church? Come on, we got, a, we, we got one house. Meets in multiple locations. We got people from all over the world joining in. Uh, we let people in, just, just awesome. We got, you can't have a party without good music. Gotta have a good DJ. Gotta have a good DJ like this guy right here. I don't know what it is about DJs this day that you're not allowed to see their face. Most of the DJs that I see online wear some kind of helmet, you know, and, and different, you know, some kind of gear on their head. Uh, we got a great worship team, don't we? Don't we have a phenomenal worship team? Great music, great, can't, can't have a house party without friends. Gotta have some good people. You gotta take your posse along with you. However, you don't want this guy at the party right here. You don't want this guy. Um, he's not the guy you wanna bring to the party. Uh, if, if anybody shows up in a banana suit, I don't even know what that suit is, really. It looks like more like a banana. That's not the guy you wanna be standing next to. And uh, thank goodness that you have, we have good people that come to church and they don't dress like that. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, this whole series is about us understanding that we have something to give to our community, something to give to our city, an incredible gift that we get to celebrate every single weekend. Sunday, the weekends are about celebrating what Jesus has done in our life. We've been getting, given an incredible gift the gift of salvation, we get to spend eternity with our Father, but, but on the earth, we have been given joy. The joy of the Lord is our, is, is our salvation, the joy of the Lord. We, we get to participate in the presence of God. No, no matter what we go through, the challenges that we face, the, the financial challenges, the relational challenges, the, the challenges we face with our kids, that we have an advocate. We have somebody that prays on our behalf. We have, the Son of God is sitting next to his Father, and he's interceding. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. Isn't that great to know? We get to celebrate that every week. I do, however, believe that there is one other person, one other group of people that are important to a party. Many times these are the people that you don't see, the people that make it happen, the people behind the scenes, uh, the people that, 
that, uh, that put in the hard work before the party starts. They, they put in the hard work during the party, the servants that are here, the, the, the people that, I used to be a waiter. How many of y'all ever waited tables? Raise your hand if you ever waited tables. I mean, a good waiter is invisible. Like a good waiter, you don't really know when they fill your cup up, but your Coke is always full. You know, you don't even really know when they took the, the plates away. You're in the middle of a conversation. They don't keep, excuse me, can, can I just get you anything else? No, they understand that you're in the middle of a conversation. They don't want, they just want to kind of, kind of creep in, creep out. They just want to get involved with you. They provide the food. They connect. What I want to do today is I want to talk about trading in the attitude of a volunteer for the attitude of a servant. Learning how to be a servant, to have, have a servant mindset. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that Paul uses to, to, to share with the Philippian church. If you want to join in along with us, you can, you can use your iPhone, your, your iPad, or your eyelids. We're going to have it up here on the screen for you. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, the attitude. Everybody say the attitude. The attitude. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. How many know Jesus had a good attitude? I, I never can read where Jesus didn't have a good attitude. He always had a good attitude. He always, this is a powerful verse, he always had the nature of God. But he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Now that's a very strong theological principle that we see right here. Is that Jesus was all God. But yet, he didn't by force. In other words, he didn't push off his deity in order to become a human. Instead of this, verse 7, of his own free will. This is important because what we have to understand about when Jesus decided to leave heaven. Think about this for a second. He had infinite power, infinite influence, infinite Infinite knowledge. He, he, he was omniscient. He was omnipotent. He was all, everywhere all the time. Jesus traded that in of his own free will. God didn't come to Jesus and go, hey, you have to do this. Like, you, you, you have to go down to earth because look at those people down there. I mean, I'm, I need, they need to get fixed. They need some help down there. That's not what happened. Jesus of his own free will. He came to his father and said, I see the depravity of humanity. I want to go. And I want, I want, I want, and the best way for me to do this, I, I could come and, and we could kind of wipe everything out. God could have flipped his, you know, just, just snapped his fingers and everything be gone. All sin could have been gone. But in order to connect with you and I, in order to relate to you and I, notice what happened. Of his own free will, he gave up all he had, and he took the nature of a, what does it say? Servant. He became like a human being. The Bible tells us that he became like you and me. All of our temptations, all of our frailty, everything that you and I have to go through in life, Jesus went through. Jesus was challenged in. Everything that we deal with, he understands what we go through. I'm so thankful that we have a God that understands me, that understands us. 
He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. See, there is a difference between the attitude of a volunteer and the attitude of a servant. A servant thinks about others. A servant is always thinking about it. When, when, when I serve, it's, it's never about me. When, when you serve somebody, it's never about you. It's not about what inconveniences you. It's not about how it's gonna affect you. When you serve, it's about the future. You're looking ahead. When you serve, you're thinking about legacy. How am I influencing this person? I, I believe that when we serve, we have limitless power to influence someone's life. Think about it for a second. Your ability to help someone, you, you never know who's gonna walk through these doors. We have a lot of people that are involved in, in, our, in our kids' church across, across the way there. And, and, and the great thing about that is you have no idea what those kids are coming in with. You have no idea what they came out of. And just the few minutes that you have with them, just the maybe 45, 50 minutes that you have to pour the word of God in, you don't know if they, if they watch their mom and dad fight and may, maybe dad hit mom in the middle of the night last night. You have no idea what they came out of, but now you get the opportunity uh, to, to, to serve them and let them know what Jesus looks like. Limitless power. Not, not only that, you have the potential by the way that you live your life, how you serve them, that you can change their eternal destination just by watching you, just by helping them. When you serve, it's never about you. When, when you serve, it's all about adding value to the church and adding value to someone else. However, the attitude of a volunteer looks a little different. A volunteer thinks, you're lucky to have me. You should be thankful that I showed up today. Like, you are blessed by my presence. I know I was 15 minutes late, but hey, look at what you got. And matter of fact, you better take good care of me because if you don't, I'm gone. I'll find somewhere else to volunteer. You mean you want me to do that? Like, that's not in my wheelhouse. Like, that's not my deal. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change diapers. I don't change diapers. I don't even do that at home. <laughs> Volunteers have a personal agenda. It's all about them mostly. It's about their feelings. It's about what they can get out of it. Volunteers are not focused on the mission of the church or the organization. Volunteers focus on how they, how they look on their resume. How they will be seen by people. What's in it for me? See, you don't know you're a servant until you've been treated like one. Paul, whenever he would write his letters to churches in the New Testament, and I believe Paul was one of the most influential, other than Jesus, I believe he was one of the most influential people to ever walk the earth. He would start out his letters with this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter, when he would write his letters to the church, he would say, Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. James, James, the brother of Jesus. Now, if I were James and I were wanting to get my, my works published, Okay, what I would say is James, the brother of Jesus. That's how I would start my letters. But that's not how he started his letters. He would say James, a bondservant of Jesus, of our Lord. So, so in order to understand the power of what it means to be a servant or a bondservant, we gotta understand what it means. How, how does this affect? Now, the Bible in our culture gets a bad rap because many people, and I've had people challenge me in this. Well, the Bible, you know, is, is pro-slavery. No, it's not. No, no, no. I think you're reading it wrong. We gotta understand what it means to be a servant. 
what it means to, when we, when we understand that, then we can process it fully in our life. See, when the Bible talks about being a bondservant or a servant, what would happen during Bible times is if I owed a debt that I could not pay, they would put me in jail. I would get thrown in jail. I would never be able to pay that debt back. So somebody would come along, they would see my debt, and in order to have the debt paid off, that person who saw me in jail would pay or take upon themselves the debt, and as a result, I would be indebted to them now. And according to scriptures, I would be indebted to them for seven years because every seven years, all servants were released. Everybody was released after seven years. You, you paid your, your debt over seven years to that person and then you're released. However, if you liked being a part of that particular house, if you loved your master, if you wanted to always be there, then you could become what was called a bond servant. A bond servant would recognize that there's no way in my lifetime that I could ever, by serving my master, pay the debt that I owed them. So I am choosing of my own free will to remain under the leadership of my master. And so the master would take them to the front door because the front door re represented their entry and their exit. And he would put their ear against the doorway and he would drive a nail through the ear, pierce their ear so that everybody that saw them would recognize that this person was a bondservant. Now think about this for a second. Jesus did not have his ear pierced. He had his hands pierced and his feet pierced and his side pierced. And Jesus was put on a cross 2,000 years ago. He wasn't at a doorway. No, no, no. It was on the, on the hill of Golgotha for you and me because we owed a debt that we could not pay, that we could never pay. And so Jesus stood on our behalf. He lowered himself for the point of death. Okay, he, he didn't show up late because he had a bad night last night. No, 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 he died for you and me. How much more should we serve? John chapter 14, verse 12, I love this verse. Most assuredly, Jesus is talking to us. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I love that verse. How many of y'all would like to do some greater works? Anybody ever tried to walk on water? Come on, raise your hand. <laughs> Try it this afternoon. It's hard. It's really difficult. Never done it before. Come on. Jesus, he opened, he opened blind eyes. Awesome. Didn't do that this week. He opened deaf ears. Incredible. Raised people from the dead. Come on, it was hard to get your kids out of bed this morning. Raising people from the dead. That's difficult work. That's, and we're supposed to do that as a church. I wonder, though, however, if Jesus wasn't talking about those works. I wonder if the greater work was having the attitude that he had and becoming a servant. What, what, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for people and believe for healing, and, and I believe that's part of our role. But what if the greatest miracle that we can do, the greatest thing we can do is lay our lives down for the sake of someone else. Jesus said it this way in Mark 10, 45. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. See, I believe serving is what, like John the Baptist did, the ministry of decrease. 
decrease. Now, we don't like this. We don't like this as specifically Americans because we've been taught we can do anything. The American dream. We can accomplish anything. I can't sing, but you know, I can go on American Idol because my grandma said I can sing. Sweetheart, you can't sing. You need to, get, you need to be an accountant, not a singer. But we've been told we can do anything. John the Baptist, however, said, listen, listen, there are gonna be times in your life as a servant where you're gonna have to decrease so someone else can increase. You're gonna have to kind of fade into the background in order that someone else can step up in the forefront. And see, that's exactly what he did. Imagine, I mean, he was the man. And Jesus shows up and he's like, I I gotta decrease. I've gotta step back in the background because this guy needs to go ahead. That would be different in your company if you said, well, you know what? I know that I'm supposed to be promoted, but I'm not really qualified for this, so let me let you take this job. Woo-hoo-hoo, uh-oh. But that's that's not how I've been taught, pastor. I've been taught to kick them down, knock them out, tell a lie about them so I can increase. No, that's a volunteer attitude. Now, this changed for me. Um, I had been a Christian for about three or four years, and I really felt the call to go and preach, you know. And so I went to my pastor. funny story. I went to my pastor. He had these counseling meetings on Thursday nights. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go tell my pastor that I've been called to preach. And I figured maybe he'd give me a Wednesday night. or a, I'd never done it before. <laughs> but I figured he would let me preach because I'm called, you know. I'm called. And he was very gracious, and he said, listen, I appreciate it, Troy, but you've never done this before. And what you need to do is you need to go, there's a couple options for you. Right now, we're, we're, we're going into prison, so you can go into prison ministry, and, and they need some help in prison. And there's this other thing that we're just starting in the community where you can go to a under 55 Medicaid facility on Tuesday nights. And I'm like, all right, hey, man, that's easy. I can do Tuesday nights. Come on, somebody. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking underage you know, under 55 Medicaid facility. Now, if you've ever been into an under 55 Medicaid facility, I went on that first Tuesday. Very interesting. It's kind of like Walmart at about 2 a.m. <laughs> no offense, I'm just, I'm not, but it's just the, when you walk in, that's what it looks like. I mean, it's, it's predominantly crazy people. And, and I mean, and, I, and this girl, Melissa, said, hey, I'm gonna train you. And so we're gonna go for a few Tuesdays together and then I'm gonna let you do it. Well, she didn't even show up on the first day. <laughs> I guess she was just thankful that she was never gonna have to go back to Walmart. I mean, she, I mean the Medicaid facility. <laughs> and so, so I walk in, you know, and I got my big Bible. I'm talking the family room Bible. <laughs> you know, the one that nobody reads, but you know, if you have a big Bible, you, you, you are somebody important, you know. And I, I'm just waiting, 15, 20 minutes goes by, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and I figure, all right, I'm not gonna leave, you know, I'm here, might as well do something, so I start knocking on people's doors, just knocking on doors. Hey, my name's Troy, I'm from Faith Landmarks, and I'd like to have a Bible study with you. Well, first guy I went to, Barry, answered the door, sat down with him, he, was, he looked normal, till about 10 minutes into the process, and I realized, Barry, probably needs about seven or eight demons cast out of him, and I'm not prepared to do that right now. And so I'm talking to Barry, and Barry, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging, you know. 15, 20 minutes goes by, you know, he starts to kind of settle down a little bit, and we start chat, you know, chatting about God, and 
you know, finally I finish with Barry and I go to the next door, knock on the door, and it's this young guy in his early 20s, guy by the name of Lance. We sit down, Lance and I are talking, and, and Lance is, uh, you know, I start kind of hearing about his story. The reason why he's there is, is he's had some drug problems. He's tried to commit suicide a few times. He's just having a really difficult time of depression. And so I just start, I, I don't know what to do other than just start read a story. I just picked my favorite story, the one that I knew the best, and started just reading the story to him and sharing. In the middle of this conversation, this guy busts through the door. His name is Chip. And Chip comes through the door and he goes, hey, I heard you guys having a Bible study. Just want to let you know I'm a homosexual. Just in the middle of it, I'm like, really? Have a seat. <laughs> Let's talk, you know? So we sit down, and it's us three. I get to the end of my little Bible study, and I don't know how to do an altar call, so it's just us three. I said, hey, close your eyes, bow your head. You want to give your heart to Jesus? Raise your hand. It's just us three, you know, so two of them raise their hand. I'm thinking maybe I should raise my hand too, you know. I'm, I'll probably need Jesus. <laughs> and repeat after me. I take them through the sinner's prayer. And for the next few months, I go back to the same facility. I sit down with Lance and Chip. Never went to Chip's room. Just want to let you know. <laughs> that was off limits. <laughs> <laughs> after about four months I show up on a Tuesday evening sit down with Lance and Lance says hey Troy I just want to let you know Chip died he had really bad diabetes he was really struggling and ended up killing himself amazing thing is has had the opportunity to share Jesus with him because it wasn't about me it wasn't about my time I kept spending Tuesdays with Lance. Eventually, Lance, I, I, I kind of moved to something else, trained somebody else to stay in that Medicaid facility, went on to prison ministry, started speaking to young guys in prison, and, and Lance and I stayed in contact with each other. Um, found out Lance got a job, dealt with his drug addiction, got his own apartment. And in 2002, when I was getting ready to move to Charlotte, I'm driving down Downtown, I'm driving down the road, and out of the corner of my eye, I see what I think is Lance sitting on the front porch of a house. I stop and turn around and pull up, and I go, Lance? And he goes, Troy? Lance had bought his own house. He was serving God. <laughs> see, you never know. See, it changed my attitude. It changed my attitude on the whole idea of what it looks like to serve what it looks like to serve. I want to give you a, a couple attitude changes. Seven attitudes of a servant. If you want to write these down, it might help you a little bit. First one is volunteering. The attitude of a volunteer is something that you do. Serving is a heart. It's about our heart. Who was the, not a trick question, who was the first disciple to die? Judas. Judas was the first one. He hanged himself because he realized that he did the wrong thing with Jesus. He sold Jesus into the Roman, um, the Romans. See, Judas had a wrong motive. His motive actually came to fruition. He had a hidden agenda. It was all about what he did, an agenda. 
Who was the last disciple to die? You know who the last one was? The apostle John. They couldn't kill John, by the way. They tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. They got frustrated with him and just exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. They were like, we're just gonna get rid of you. We don't even know what to do with you. That's where he wrote the book of Revelation is on the Isle of Patmos. He lived to be in his 90s, which is very old in that particular time. The, the, the last picture that you see in the New Testament of John was him with Jesus leaning his head onto the chest of Jesus. In other words, he had his ear to his heart. See, this is, this is the attitude or, or the, the posture of a servant. The posture of a servant has his ear to the heart of God. Always listening, what's your heart, God? What is it your heart for this people? What, what is your heart for this church? What is your heart for this life group? What is your heart for, for the person that I'm coming into contact? What is your heart? If you wanna find God's will for your life, if you wanna discover God's purpose for your life, it's found in the heart of God. I believe the number one way that you can discover your purpose in life, no matter how old you are, 12 or 120, is by serving God, serving him. Here's the second thing. The second is volunteers focus on what they can give. Servants focus on what Jesus gave. What Jesus gave. The Moravians were known as, uh, and still are, some of the greatest missionaries on the planet, man. They, they have been into just about every country. Uh, they've done their, their best. And there were, there's a story of two missionaries, two Moravian missionaries that were in their early 20s. And they heard about this West Indian island that had 3,000 slaves that had never heard the gospel ever. And they wanted to go, however, the island was owned by an atheist who would never let any anybody on that island. When anybody would get shipwrecked, he would put them on the other side of the island until their ship could get together because he didn't want to take the chance of sharing Christ with his slaves. And so these two Moravian missionaries in their early 20s said, well, well, well how are we going to do this? How are we going to get on that island? So the only way that they could get onto the island to minister to these slaves is to become a slave themselves which meant that they were gonna have to give up their life forever. If I'm gonna do this, early 20s, think about this for a second. Early 20s, selling yourself into slavery, knowing that you will never, ever be let out. They said they were gonna do it. And the day that they were getting ready to leave, they were on the ship, their family, their friends were all on the dock, bawling, crying, because they're never gonna see them again. They're never gonna be able to visit with them again. There's not gonna be letters written. They're not gonna know of how long they live, what their life, no birthday celebrations, no Christmas celebrations, nothing. They are gone forever. And as they're on the boat, they weren't thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about anything. The focus was not on what they were doing. The focus was on Jesus. And they screamed this from the boat. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering, which became the Moravian motto. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of the suffering. In other words, this is nothing about me. It has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with my Savior, Jesus Christ, who was, was infinitely powerful but became a lamb to die for me. The third thing that we can understand or change about a volunteering attitude versus a servant attitude is volunteers keep score servants make sacrifices. Volunteers like to remind you of how much they've done. They like to remind you of the hours of suffering, the hours of hard work. This was really hard. 
I can't believe how long it took me to do this. You know, I changed those diapers. I changed those diapers, and this was really difficult. Got peed on again this week. It's like a fire hose underneath there. It just goes crazy. Volunteers like to stay in charge. They want to be in control. They want to know everything. What am I going to do? How long is it going to take? What time do I have to be there? Oh, my goodness. You mean I got to get there that early, 1030? Whew. It's my day off. I shouldn't have to get there at 1030. That's difficult for me. Servants, they don't really care what they have to do. What do you want me to do? Where, where do you need me? Where, where do you want me to go? I, 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 I know this is where I'm gifted, but where, where do you need me? Where, where do you want me? It's 10.30, how about I get there at 10 o'clock then? Maybe there's something I can do before I get started. Oh, you mean I'm done at 11.30? Oh, well, how about if I stay another 30 minutes? Or if, I, if, I need, if you need some more help, how about if I do... Do it another service. If I, if I want to connect again, volunteers, servants give up control. They let go. See, it's about a sacrifice. It's going to cost me something. You can easily judge. This is what Simon Sinek said in his book, Leaders Eat Last. He said, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Number four, attitude of a volunteer that we can change into an attitude of a servant. As volunteers are time-sensitive, servants are need-sensitive, need-sensitive. Jesus tells a story one time of this guy who's going up to Jericho. He's heading up to uh, worship. And on the way, he gets robbed. He's a Jewish man. He gets robbed, beaten, left for dead, like he's gonna die on the side of the road. Jesus tells the story. I'm giving you the Maxwell paraphrase. You can't find this in stores. Pastor comes by, sees the guy. Jesus says he saw him, saw that he was beaten up, saw that he had been robbed, walks by the other side, doesn't even pay attention to him. Probably in his head, he's probably thinking, man, if I get involved with that, how long is that gonna take me? I got somewhere to go. I got places to go, people to meet things to do maybe the robbers are still waiting maybe this is just a setup I don't know if, if I'm how much is this going to cost me I mean goodness gracious I mean he's got some really bad stuff going on probably doesn't have health insurance God take if I take him to the hospital I'm going to be the one on the bill how long how long is it going to take I mean last time I went to the emergency room huh, four hours later I just got in, and then another six, I mean, this, this could be hours and hours. So he just kind of shields himself. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. Keeps on going. Jesus says a, de a demon, a deacon comes by, and he sees the same thing. He see, however, this time, instead of just staying on the other side of the road, Jesus says he goes over, looks at him, and then just keeps on going. Doesn't want to inconvenience. Listen, most of Jesus' miracles happened in an interruption. It was an inconvenience. He was going down the road. He, was, hey, he had a mission. He had to go. A blind man says, hey, 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 Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. Another time, he's walking through the crowd, and this woman grabs hold of his shirt, like, you know, pulls on his, his coat. Jesus turns around. I felt some power go out of me. See, it's amazing how much power is in a God interruption. It's, it's amazing what can happen when you get interrupted and you choose to lean in to your servant moment. How, how, how God's power can flow through you 
to maybe bring healing or deliverance to someone when you're willing to be interrupted, when you're really willing to be inconvenienced. If we can look past that, if we can look past that idea, if we can look past that, then our inconveniences seem very insignificant. Jesus says there's a Samaritan that comes along walking down the same road, sees the man on the side of the road instead of walking by the other side, instead of ignoring it, he goes, man, let me give you some help here. Let me, let me pick you up. He takes him, picks him up, cleans all his wounds up, takes him to the hotel, most unlikely person in the world. Jesus is making a very strong statement here that this Jew and this Samaritan should not even be talking. However, the Samaritan sees the Jew and says, I wanna help you, I wanna help you. And so he picks him up, takes him to the hotel, and he says to the hotel manager, listen, if there's anything here's some money, let him stay for a few days. Here's my credit card number. If you need to charge me, just keep, I I wanna make sure this guy's taken care of. That is the attitude of a servant. Why? Because a servant sees a need and meets it. A servant says, there's a need, I'm, I'm gonna meet this regardless of what it looks like from an inconvenience. Servants are available, they're open, they're accessible, they're reachable, they're open to interruption. Volunteers, here's, here's another one. Volunteers want themselves to look good. Servants want God to look good. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the light of the world. Look at you and there and say, you are bright. Like a diamond. We gotta bring that back. Come on, Rihanna. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Listen to verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Not you. It's not about you. It's not about me. They may see your good works. For what reason? So they'll glorify God. They'll go, why is he doing that? He's not gonna get anything out of that. Why, 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 why would they go? Why would that church go to a, um, a developmental care place? Why, why would they spend thousands of dollars and, and all their hours on a Saturday to rebuild a playground? It's probably gonna get beat up again. Probably gonna tear it up, torn up again. Why, why would they go do that? It must be God. There, there's no way that somebody would do something like that. Why, why, would, why would somebody... Why would somebody take their whole Saturday and, and go invest in a public school? There's, public school's got plenty of money. CMS could, could take care of that. Why wouldn't they do something like that? Man, that, that, looks, like, that looks like God. Why, why would somebody take out of their day to help somebody? See, I, I found that my greatest calling is to be like a highway sign. Highway signs are not about the destination. They're about pointing you somewhere, you know? Like highway signs show you how far it's gonna be before you get to this place. Highway signs say, hey, there's a, there's, there's a Chick-fil-A here at this exit. There's, there's, there's a hotel in case you're tired. There's a Circle K. They have everything at Circle K. I mean, you can get anything you want at Circle K. Gas, everything. There's a Circle K there. You can... You can get, if, you, if this is this your exit, just get off right here, just a half a mile down the road. That's what a sign is. A sign is always pointing to the destination. 
That's, who, that's what we are as believers. We're always pointing. No, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about Christ. It's about, it's about the cross. It's about, it's about the blood of Jesus. It's about, it's about what he wants to do in your life. It's about your purpose. It's about your will. It's about, it's about his will for your life. It's about what he wants to do in your world. It's, it's, it's hey, no, no, no. Don't, don't look at me. Look, don't look at me. Look, look at him. Look at him because that's where your help comes from. That, that that's can be your refuge. That, that's your healer up there. I'm not the healer. I can't do anything. He's the one that can heal your blinded eyes. He's the one that can heal your marriage. He's the one that can heal your family. Look, look. I know, I know. It looks like that, that I'm the big deal. But no, no, no. I'm, the, I'm not the big deal. Let me just fade in the background because I want you to see Jesus. I, I want you to see Christ. I want you to see who he can be. Here's the last one. Volunteers. Volunteering makes you superior. Serving makes you humble. Humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. See, if you're too big for the small things, you'll always be too small for the big things. If you're too big for the small things, you will always be too small for the big things. And here's the last thing, look at me, everybody look at me. See, I believe God tests you with little stuff. It's the little interruptions that don't require a lot of your time. But if you could just notice, if you could just be open and available, say, yes, Lord, just the little things, just the little things. Because we like big platform, we we like the big stuff. But before we can get on the big stuff, God is saying, can you just do the small thing? Can you just push, push a slider? Can you, just push, can you just push a button? Can you just run a camera? Because there's people on the other side of the world that need to see this. Can, can, can you just help a little kid? I don't have kids. It's all right. You might one day, maybe. Well, I, I, just a little stuff. I never, I never knew how powerful this is. Last story. When I became a youth pastor, in, uh, I was a youth pastor for seven years in Richmond, Virginia. And when I took over the youth group, I inherited a bunch of volunteers. Like these guys were all about them. So my first trip was to take about 40 kids to a thing called Acquire the Fire, which is a big youth event, huge youth event in Baltimore, Maryland. And so I didn't know these kids that well. They knew me a little bit. And so my wife and I, you know, we pile in buses and we start taking these kids up to Baltimore, Maryland. And, and you know, it's amazing, this event that they put on. There's like 15,000 kids. They're all worshiping. And this whole Acquire the Fire thing is about mobilizing students to go on missions trips and do this, all this different stuff. And so, you know, we're, we're having a great time and the kids are really, I feel like the kids are getting ministered to and having a great time. And so we go to lunch on the second day and I look over the, to the side during, we're in this food court and there's this little girl named Karen. She's about 14 years old and she's just bawling, crying. And I'm like, why are you upset? What's wrong, Karen? What's wrong, sweetheart? She says, I wanted me to go to the missions uh, interview and none of the volunteers would go with me and I have to have a volunteer with me and, and that nobody would go with me because they all wanted to get something to eat. And I said, okay, well, let's go. She goes, really? Stop crying. She goes, you mean you'll take me? I said, sure, let's go. And so I hadn't eaten yet. That's cool. She wants to go. I didn't know what it involved, so we walked about 30 minutes back to the arena. They have interview. It took about 45 minutes for her to do the interview. I just sat there, just chilling. 
She gets finished. We walk back. We only had about 10 minutes to eat. What I didn't know is the impact it would have on Karen. What I thought was something that you just do for a young person was something that meant so much to her that for the next six, seven, eight years of her life in the church, she would always remember that Troy took her to that missions interview. She went on missions trips. She started playing the piano. She became a worship leader. Now she's serving God still to this day. All because, look, it wasn't about me. Look, I'm not trying to bring the attention to me, but it helped me understand that it's just the little things. Just the little things. If I could fade in the background, it's just the little things. Just the little things. Why don't we stand on our feet today before we go? Are you ready to exchange the attitude of a volunteer for the attitude of a certain? If that's you, just lift up both hands. Look, let's just be honest. I'm raising my hand too because sometimes I got a little volunteer in me. Let's cast a little bit of that volunteer out so God can replace it with some servanthood. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you that we can serve you because you served us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you died for us. 2,000 years ago, you paid the ultimate sacrifice. You died for me. You died for us. You had the key to my prison, the key to my debt that I could not pay, the key to sin. You took it upon yourself. You became sin. And you removed that from my life. How much more, God, do I want to serve you? Not just at church, not just on the week, weekends, God, but in my neighborhood and at my job, God. I, I want people to be pointed to the incredible saving grace of my Lord Jesus Christ. God, that's what we want to be. We want to be servants for you. In Jesus' name, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you do have some debt that needs to be canceled. And see, that's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He canceled your debt. He didn't cover it. He canceled it on the cross. And today you can receive that canceled debt. Void. It's gone. It's completely paid for through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Whether for the first time or maybe you've made this decision before, you want to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you want to ask Jesus to come and live in your heart, become a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that's what it means. When you say, Jesus, cancel my debt, you start on a journey with Jesus. You say, well, well I don't know what's going to happen. That's okay. Let him take care of that part of it. Just give your life to him. Give everything to him. You're watching online. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. There's a little button you can press. Just press that button, that little hand. I want to raise my hand. I want, I, want, I, want, I want my life to be changed. If you're here today in this place and you say, I want my life to be changed. I want my life to be changed. I, I want my, my sin, my debt canceled. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over the room. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Pray this prayer out loud. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, everybody in the room. Even watching by, by, by online, just, just, just say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood was shed for my forgiveness. Today, my debt, sin, is canceled in Jesus' name. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead so I could start a brand new life which I start right now in Jesus' name. I will worship you 
and I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.